Welcome to The Real Spiel with Ryan and Kurt. This is Ryan Katz with USCF Investments. And this is Kurt Nelson at Summerhaven. Let's get real about inflation. Again, we just spoke about this, uh, you know, I, I believe a few podcasts ago. Things are changing uh, pretty pretty quick here. Um, you know, since we provide our last inflation update, uh, inflation is at 7.5% uh, measured by CPI, went up to 7.9%, and most recently now 8.5% above what economists had surveyed uh, for their forecast. Um, what's going on here, Kurt, and what should investors be thinking about moving forward? Yeah, I think one of the first lessons is inflation is very hard to predict. And we already knew this because in 2011, uh, 2010, we had this financial experiment called quantitative easing that the Fed and Treasury undertook to help save the U.S. and global economy from the financial crisis. Um, and we printed a ton of assets, a ton of, of dollar assets, um, printing of money, um, you know, in the neighborhood of over the course of four or five years, printed maybe $4 trillion or so. And I think the, the foregone conclusion was this has to be expansionary. If, if, if inflation is a monetary phenomenon, we're printing money, this has to cause inflation to go up. And it didn't. And um, now what we've seen is... Um, an even faster printing of money through the response to COVID, um, what the fiscal policy, uh, along with executive policy and Fed policy have been over the last two years, um, we've seen inflation actually go up uh, dramatically higher than expectations. I think that our ability to forecast that inflation will be low or that inflation will be high is is sort of broken. I think to some degree, maybe the best forecast for the weather 15 minutes from now is the weather right now. And so I think we have to get religion that inflation is very hard to forecast. We have been told for uh, for several years, you don't need to worry about inflation. And then starting 12 months ago, inflation started to go up. The message was it's transitory. Ignore it. Don't pay attention to it. Just drive by. And in fact, the the you know Fed uh, chair uh, Jay Powell himself said a few months ago, we have to eliminate transitory from our vocabulary. This is not transitory inflation. This is now just old school inflation. So um, I think what's been quite dramatic, uh, Ryan, just over the past few months has been how quickly con- inflation continues to rise. The other huge shock to the markets uh, going back about six weeks was the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we already had an inflation print of 7.9%, uh, which is incredibly high, some of the highest we've seen in 40 years before the invasion. But this this invasion has made things even more complicated across a wide swath of commodities, whether it's agricultural, like wheat or corn or barley, uh, fertilizer uh, in the metal space, um, things like nickel and and zinc and platinum that come out of in uh, Russia in high quantities each year. And of course, the classic uh, oil and gas story that they produce a lot of energy um, and the ability for Russia to deliver those energy commodities to the marketplace is really challenged right now. So um, it's kind of hard to underestimate how much things have changed so quickly just in two months um, based on what we're seeing. 
Yeah, it's really fascinating. I mean, CPI get, gets a lot of the headlines, a consumer price index, but a lot of folks are, are not aware of or are, are not making the headlines is the PPI, the producer's price index, which at the same time uh, that CPI has gone to eight and a half percent, we just got a print of north of 11% of the producer's price index. What does that mean and what can we expect? So uh, we kind of think at Summerhaven that the the leading indicator are commodity prices for inflation. The very first thing that happens is copper or corn or wheat prices go up. And then that factors in over a period of time into producer prices. So the raw inputs that Kellogg's uh, you know, or General Mills is using to make Wheaties or cornflakes, that those higher prices factor in and into their cost of production. So that's the PPI. And then after another period of, of time, it eventually shows up into the CPI, the consumer price index. So this is what you actually have to pay for that box of Wheaties or that box of cornflakes when you go to the grocery store. I think PPI is a leading indicator. Um, and I think it suggests that there's going to be um, continued uh, high levels of inflation for some time. Um, and there are a few other factors that, that we think here are supportive of kind of inflation being higher for longer. Um, one of those is uh, the wage labor situation in the U.S. Wages are, are growing, whether it's hourly or professional workers, and we're seeing unemployment be at sort of record lows. Um, you also have probably seen data that show how many job openings there are that are unfilled. And the best way to kind of hire that uh, desired employee in a competitive market is to pay more money. So you're going to see probably higher wages for some period of time, which gives consumers more money to spend. Um, another factor that we think of as a tailwind that's persistent for months or even more than a year is the high cost of real estate because that real estate is not a factor in CPI, but rent and rent equivalents are. And with the high price of, of home prices, uh, as measured by Case Schiller or other benchmarks, uh, these broad-based market benchmarks are going up at levels that we, we haven't seen maybe ever, uh, going back with you know, 30, 40, 50 years of data. Real estate prices being elevated won't show up in inflation, but over a period of, say, 12 to 18 months, that will factor into higher rent costs. Whether you're renting an apartment in New York or renting a home you know, in Connecticut, those, and those inputs are a significant part of CPI and will be part of the Fed's measured uh, observation for how CPI is changing year over year. Um, in addition, we have this Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has really uh, cast a, a, a really strange wild card into kind of price discovery in many of these markets. And it affects all of them. It affects metals, agriculture, energy, um, even markets that maybe are off the radar uh, for many investors. And I'll highlight one, Ryan, that's kind of interesting. I mean, if you think about neon, if I asked, what, where, where is neon used? When I was in college, it'd be like, oh, that's the Budweiser sign in the bar. You know, but it's not just neon lamps and neon lights. I think if, if you've tried to buy a car in the last two years, you know, there's been a microchip shortage because of COVID supply disruptions, et cetera. When you make a microchip, whether, you know, in Taiwan or some of these amazingly technologically advanced Southeast Asian facilities, you use a laser and you inscribe onto a chip of silicon, you know, the, the features that the microchip needs. 
But for the laser to inscribe onto that silicon wafer, you have to be in an environment of neon gas. It's a noble gas. And so neon is used heavily in the microchip industry. Um, it sort of shocked me to discover that maybe 50 to 60% of the neon comes from Ukraine and that region of the, of Europe. So we're worried about shortages in wheat right now, corn, uh, shortages in nickel, where we've seen market disruptions, it may be coming in zinc, uh, shortages in copper, platinum, palladium group metals, and maybe the energy complex overall, depending on how the global economy and, and Europe and the West will respond to, to, to Russia's production of this and our, our interest in continuing to buy Russian oil and gas. Even beyond that, there's these other unintended uh, consequences of the invasion, which affect things like microchips for cars. Because what we know, and we saw this during the COVID crisis, is that you can almost finish a $50,000 car, but you're missing the microchip that controls, say, cruise control or climate control or power windows or GPS. And because you don't have that $50 or $100 microchip from Taiwan, you can't deliver your car to the consumer. It creates a shortage. So there's a number of things that I think will continue to drive inflation in unexpected ways. Uh, and we're not seeing signs of those clearing in the near term. Yep. Yeah. And, and inflation can really only fundamentally be controlled by the Fed. Uh, have their expectations and communications com uh, recently changed? And how has the market reacted? So I think those those have changed. And we've seen a, a an initial reaction from the market. I would say that six months ago, you might have had half the Fed governors sort of hawkish and half of them more dovish and looking for more support because we were still in the midst of COVID. We had a big wave in New England and in, in the U.S. in January or so of 2022. And there was a, a reluctance to withdraw support for the, the economy to, uh, to heighten, you know, hike rates. Um, I think what we've witnessed just in the last, say, three weeks or so is that almost universally, the, the Fed governors are now becoming hawkish and they're saying, okay, we want to maintain full employment. We don't want to hurt workers, people that are just now seeing some wage gains and some, maybe some positive um, effects in their bottom line each month. But we're going to have to hike rates. We have to because we're behind. You have inflation at north of 8%. Um, the Fed has only had one interest rate hike so far, I believe, which is a quarter of a basis point. Um, you know, if you look at two year, five year, 10 year treasury rates, they're still significantly below 3% a year while inflation is now north of eight and we don't know where it will go. So I think the fed has indicated that, um, even more dovish members like, uh, the, uh, uh, like Lael Brainerd, the vice chair who has, have historically been not supportive of rate hikes are all saying that we have to do it and we have to do it more aggressively. I also think what we're going we're gonna to see probably in the next 12 to 18 months is a number of 50 basis point hikes rather than 25 because there's this catch up that, that the Fed has to do if they truly want to get their arms around inflation and try to rein it in. Um, the consequences of that will be um, significant. We're seeing interest rates go up. Mortgage rates are going up. I think uh, 30-year mortgage rates in the U.S. now are above 5% for the first time in a long time. I, but it feels to me like we're still in early innings. And I think this is going to continue to develop.
Yep. And as it develops, we'll continue to uh, to update the, the inflation story as we go on. Thank you for joining us. It's been The Real Spiel with Ryan and Kurt. We'll talk to you soon.